0: How are you with pattern recognition? Do you recognize them? Do, do they just, when you get in the middle of a pattern, does the next thing just say it? So, like if I did 5, 10, 15, 20, what's next? 25. So, pattern recognition works in us. How about this? Here's an old joke Why is six afraid of seven? Seven, eight, nine is about pattern recognition, isn't it? The Bible's doing this. Here's another one before I get too far into this. It's the red, white, and yeah, pattern recognition. And we're so used to hearing it that it starts to do it. So I'm going to be working on John the Baptist today, but John the Baptist is in a pattern. And so we need to be able to recognize the pattern that John the Baptist is talking about. And it's all through that. And the Advent season needs us to recognize Why did we read about John the Baptist in Advent? Not just because he's preparing the way, but because we need to be ready and prepared. So the Bible pattern that I want to talk to you about is this, that before God kicked him out of Eden, before he did that, did he tell him not to do something? Does anybody remember, did God say, don't do something? Yeah, don't eat of that tree, right? And then when they ate of that tree, there was punishment. Do you know why it's that order? Because if he didn't tell them nothing about the tree, and they just did it, and then he punished them, that's like unjust. But the pattern is, the rule, and then we break it. You ever experienced that? That's what, that's what uh, the speed limit signs are for. They're telling you, this is how fast you can go. And when you go past it, then you've been informed and the punishment is due. It's just like that. That's your pattern recognition. So when, I need you to start to understand this, that when, when Moses went to Pharaoh, he said, let my people go. And he said, no. And then came the right here's what I want, no, we're not going to do that, then there's trouble. So when we look at the Old Testament, we say, well, that God is full. There's all this judgment in the Old Testament. Yes, there's a lot of rule-breaking. There's a lot of rule-breaking, and they've been informed, and then there's some judgment. That's the pattern. But how does John the Baptist fit into that pattern, or Advent for that matter? Well, John the Baptist, let's, let's read. I'm going to go to Matthew 3 and read Matthew 3 for you. And then we'll, we'll talk about this just a little bit, just so you know the pattern that's being established and then what it means for us today. This is from Matthew 3. Now, now Dave read this. I just want you to recognize that it's also in Luke. There's a little different detail in. I must be off base today. Or is it just my ears are still ringing? It wasn't just me? Okay. In those days, John the Baptist came from the Judean wilderness and began preaching. Now, Dave Evans said, it says desert in some things, but the wilderness is calling back to something. And what it's calling back to is is Elijah was back in the wilderness at this point. But repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John the Baptist when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. It's okay. It's not my ears. I'm all good. My ears are still popping and clicking from October, but sometimes it sounds like they're ringing. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist for food he ate, locusts and wild honey. Now, I need to stop here just for a second and let you know that when you see this thing, we think, well, those were uncomfortable And we don't like that food. But that's not what the Israelites thought. They thought of first Kings or Second Kings one and this response when when Elijah came to meet King um, Ahab. And he, and, they, and he had this discussion in 2 in Kings 1, and the guy goes, I, you're telling me to go t- tell King Ahab that you're here, and I don't want to do it, because he's been searching for you for years and years and years while you've been out in the wilderness. And he says, well, what sort of man will he, It was he, the king demanded, what did he look like? And he replied in verse 8, He was a hairy man, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. Elijah from Tishbe, the king replied. So Elijah, or the king, recognized that that was a description of Elijah. So when we hear in Matthew 3, he wore camel's hair, he wore a white belt, he ate locusts and honey, they're saying, this is Elijah, come back. I just need you to know that Elijah wasn't just a prophet. Do you remember this one little moment that Jesus went up on a mountain and he brought John and Peter up there and Jesus suddenly was transformed. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration. And they said, Peter said, it's Moses and Elijah. Now, I want you to know that they weren't around during the time of Moses and Elijah, but Moses and Elijah had descriptions that were traditional in that time. And so when they saw the camel hair coat, they go, that's Elijah. We know that's Elijah. That's what history tells us Elijah was like. It's sort of like we understand that if you hear a story about a little boy who chopped down a cherry tree, you understand That they're talking about George Washington, right? Or what about a young man who read and taught himself by candlelight all the way through the time of do we know this story about Abraham Lincoln, who who taught, right? So there's descriptions of people that we know. He wore a tall stovepipe hat and things like that. Of course, so did everybody else in. Abraham Lincoln's time. That was the fashion. But we recognize, I just want you to recognize the pattern of what we're getting at here. But the pattern of Elijah is more than that. That when Elijah comes out of the wilderness, it's because the time of judgment has come. When he went into the wilderness and was fed by the crows at the book, Brook Sheriff." In First Kings seventeen, he had told the king, "You are so bad that it's not going to rain for years until I come back, and they're going to spend years and years looking at him." Now, how bad was it? Do you think it was just bad? Here's how bad it was. This is this is uh, the language of Ahab. Ahab, son of Omri, began to rule over Israel in the 38th year of King Asa in Judah. He reigned in Samaria for 22 years, but Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, even more than any of the kings before him. And as though it were not enough to follow the sinful examples of Jeroboam, he married Jezebel, the daughter of King Ethbaal of the Sidonians. By the way, I'm going to get back to this. Dave was talking about doing pronunciations, and if you ever find yourself up in front reading pronunciations of weird names, do you know what my rule is? Do you remember my rule? Pretend you know what you're doing and go. <laughs> Everybody else is excited that they're not reading it. <laughs> That's Dave's rule for, for doing this. And, he, and you've, uh, we, we like that example, and, we, and weren't we all glad that it wasn't us? Yeah, see? It's the rule. It works in real life. So this is, he married Jezebel, the daughter of King Ethbaal of the Sidonians, and he began to bow down to worship to Baal. First Ahab built a temple and then an altar to Baal in Samaria, and then he set up an Asherah pole. Which is another type of of pagan worship. He did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any other king of Israel before him. I, I just want to sit on that for a second. He did more to provoke the anger of the Lord than any king before him. This is not what you want written. As your epitaph. Matter of fact, it calls to mind some of the stuff that Jesus talks about, the poor servants in some of the stories. He doesn't just call them poor servants. He calls them wicked. The wicked servants did this, and the wicked servants did that. This is how wicked it is. It was during his reign that Hael, the man from Bethel, rebuilt Jericho. And when he laid its foundations, it cost the life of his oldest son, Abiram. And when he completed it, he set up the gates at the cost of his youngest son, Sege. Now, that, that is a, a prophecy come to bear. When Joshua conquered um, Jericho, he cursed the land and said... In Joshua 6, may the curse of the Lord fall on anyone who rebuilds the town of Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn will he lay its foundation, and at the cost of his second son he will set up the gates. Now, the tradition says that Hiel sacrificed his sons to do that. Not just bad, wicked not just wrong, but calling wrong good. Do you know this? Do you know what it's like? Have you been in a world where, where they call the wrong things good and the good things wrong? Or the world is upside down somewhere? And and it's not just bad, it's wicked. It's at this moment, when you cross this line, when you cross that thing, it goes, jot. It, this all happened according to the message the Lord gave concerning, from, concerning Josh, Jericho, spoken by Joshua, the son of Nun. Now, Elijah, who is from Tishbe in Gilead, told the king. This is where Elijah comes into the story, in a world gone wrong. Not just bad, wrong. Not just off track, it's derailed. Right? Do you know the difference between that, like the train's not moving, to the train's laying on its side out there, by Chawila where where the ground gets soft sometimes? Have you seen that the train derails there every so often? It's not just bad track; it's it's gone wrong. When Elijah is called, the pattern is this: it's not just that we need to prepare the way of the Lord. It's that we're not ready for the Lord. And this is another prophecy about Jesus. Why do, when Jesus comes, he will be like a launderer's soap. It will be a harsh cleaning. Not just because he's going to prepare the way of the Lord, but because if we're not prepared, the coming of the Lord will be bad for us. So when John the Baptist comes and he says this, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then it gives this description of of Elijah. What it's telling you is who Elijah is and who John the Baptist is. Now, if you know more of the story, then I'll tell you this. I was originally going to talk more about Elisha today, but I realized I'd bitten off more than I could chew in 25 minutes. And so I'm not going to eat that whole elephant today in front of you. I'm just going to talk about Elijah coming in the moment of judgment and John the Baptist doing this. And you think I'm making this up, but when, when he does this and he's baptizing and people are repenting of their sins, but when the leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to watch him in verse seven, coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. And he says, you brood of snakes. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming judgment? I mean, that's how I want to be welcomed into a, into a group of people. Isn't that how you want to be? You want to come in? We're going to come in. I was. Who warned you to come and repent? This is what we're here to do. Now, how does this fit into Advent? The Advent season is about preparing and remembering to prepare for the coming of Jesus. And we all do some of that preparation, even me who would prefer to say Ba humbug to Christmas music, and, and if you know this story, then some of you will know that, that I personally don't like Christmas music before Thanksgiving. <laughs> which makes me late to the game, right? You don't do it either? No. I don't want Christmas music before Halloween, right, that that I want to save it all. It's too early. It's too fast. It's all of that stuff. But what we do during Advent is we decorate the sanctuary, yes? Now, this year we did it just before Thanksgiving, didn't we? On the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, which would have been too early for me, but the next Sunday was the first Sunday of Advent. And so it was appropriate to have our sanctuary decorated. The people that decorated were preparing for the coming Lord. Just a second. (laughs) It's not done. (laughs) (coughs) Now, if that were water, it would be better. But it wasn't all the preparation all the decorating all the all the buying of presents all the sending out already got one in thanks all that preparation is us getting ready for Jesus now you might think it's about presents and the parties and the invitations and all that But we only do that to remember because our Lord came and changed the world. Now, if we were in that first Christmas season, or maybe the first 32 Christmas season, we wouldn't have known what had happened on that day. Does that make sense to you? They were waiting for the coming Lord because they knew they needed a change. We in Advent prepare. We prepare each year to remember to be changed. And our very preparations are the witness to this. So as we come this year to think of Advent, to prepare for our coming Lord, we don't prepare for his first coming. He's already done that. We remember that and prepare for the second one. Do you remember what happens when Jesus says that, he tells the story about 10 bridesmaids that had their lamps, and five had enough fuel, and five didn't. Five didn't prepare. Five weren't prepared. Five were. Not just wicked, or not just bad, but wicked. They didn't prepare. The time passes them by. So we take this time every year. Let's prepare not just our houses, our Christmas trees, but our hearts for the coming of the Lord. Let's do that. And before I start coughing again, I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for today. Move in our hearts. Help us recognize the pattern. Help us recognize that we've been preparing and we've been naming you as Lord as we send out our our invitations and cards and buy presents and decorate our homes. Help us actually prepare our hearts for you. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, amen.